Well, good morning. It's good to have each of you out. Welcome to Journey Church. We're glad you're here. And if you're a guest, I want to give you a very special welcome today. Uh, if you're a regular, it's good to see all of you out today. You know, it feels like spring. I feel a little strange uh, preaching on resolutions and feels like uh, it's, it's warming up, but it really could get cold again. We hope it doesn't, but it really could. But uh, here we are, the end of January, and it uh, seems a little bit weird. You know, the gyms are emptying out again. Uh, people forget that, or, uh, you know, they're tired of that resolution as well. And a lot of us are kind of moving on, getting into this year. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's an exciting time. We're going to talk about resolutions, though, because we are more resolved ourselves as a church that God has us on the right track of where we ought to be going. And uh, so we're on that track. This is where God is taking us. We believe as a church that God has called us for a specific mission, and that is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, so much so that we changed our name to, to match that. And, uh, and our vision to do that, how we're going to accomplish that is we want to bring glory to God. That's the number one thing. And throughout this series, we've talked about bringing glory to God and also loving Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about loving people. And then next week, we'll be talking about making disciples who make disciples. That's how we want to move people on this journey. You know, uh, as we talk today about, um, about this task of loving people, I want to tell you, it's a challenge, isn't it? And nobody's going to say this is easy today. Uh, nobody's going to say what Jesus did for us was easy as well. But, but our hope is that we do bring glory to God by reaching out and loving people. And last week, we talked about this type of love. If you were here, we talked about the, the selfless giving love that Jesus showed to us when he came down to the earth and he died upon the cross for us. And then Jesus said this, when asked what's the most important commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are a paired couple of commandments. They're very similar in that they both deal with love. One's directed to God, the other's directed to people, but they show kind of a progression in our walk and in our movement toward Jesus. You know, we've got our chairs up here, and you're kind of uh, accustomed to them, but now we talked about the first chair uh, is where people sat when they're unbelievers, and they're kind of a little bit of distance, you know, between the other three because these are progressively moving closer to Jesus. And the distance there represents the distance that people have to take to move from being a, away from God to a relationship with God. So that's kind of the distance. Maybe you're in chair one today. If you are, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to, to grow in that process and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But then chair two is all about loving Jesus. It's a response to his incredible love for us. And today we're going to talk about chair three because once we've known the love of God, and we've been able to show our love back to Jesus, the next thing that naturally comes is an affection, an affinity for other people. So we're going to talk about those who said uh, in, in chair three today. Here's what I believe, that we will never truly love people until we learn to love Jesus, and we will never fully love Jesus until we've learned to love people. They are so closely tied together, we just simply can't separate them. And I don't know about you sometimes, but I say, you know, I can love Jesus. Man, it's so easy to love him. He's so lovable. But when it comes to people, it's a whole different matter. It's a whole different, you know, it's a whole lot harder to love people. And I'm sure people feel the same way about me as well. But today we're going to go to the book of 1 John, and we're going to be reading about loving people and what that looks like and how we can experience that. You know, the book of 1 John was written by John, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And John was a very special part of Jesus' life. The Bible says that John was a disciple that Jesus loved. 
Now, obviously, he loved all of them, but there was a special uh, relationship. Many say it was because John was much younger, kind of like a little brother. And so when the Bible talks about their relationship, you know, uh, it, it, just is, it just seems to be so much closer than maybe some of the others. He was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And uh, so it was a disciple Jesus loved. And so much of his writing is about love. It's about loving God and loving one another. So 1 John chapter 3, here's what he writes. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Our dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So John says, this is the message the basic message that we've heard from the beginning. You know, that reminds me that probably that when John first followed Jesus, he heard about love all the time. It's like, this is the basic, this is the kindergarten. You know, I was thinking of this, and when I was in uh, kindergarten many years ago, uh, we sang a little song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it's just a basic reminder that Jesus shows us love, Jesus is love, and we're to love him back. And you know what? It's hard to argue with love, right? Almost everybody agrees love is a good thing. I mean, in the church, universal, there's a lot of differences and a lot of, you know, movements away from certain things. But as far as I know, there is no anti-love movement. Nobody says, ah, we need to stop loving people. You know, that's not important. That's not a valuable thing. We're all for that. We're all about that. It's how that plays out that's so hard for us. It's interesting that Jesus said that love is the most obvious and distinguishing characteristic of a Christian. That's important that we love one another. We'll be known by our love. Here's what he says in John 13. Again, the apostle John records these words. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what I see is that love is this rope that kind of connects us to one another. Love is the bond that, you know, draws us together, that, that gives us commonness, even though we're very, very different. And we optimistically hope but this love is, is going to spread all the way throughout our, our church family and, in, and beyond that as well. You know, someone said the greatest danger to the church today is not from outside. It's not from the enemy from without. It's from the enemy sometime within. It's from ourselves. The greatest danger and threat to our church is, is when we stop loving each other. You know, the church is a series of relationships. It, it's not a building. It's the people. And those relationships are interconnected by the uh, love that we have for one another. I mean, uh, there are all sorts of people, all ages, with all different needs. There are, there are staff and elders and deacons and groups and ministries. And we all may have different uh, uh, focuses and personalities and priorities. But we're all one. We're all one. And we have to make love our first priority. You know, I believe that every problem, and think, think about this, every problem that the church ever wrestles with is displayed because we don't love each other enough. That's where the problems occur when our love is deficit toward one another. But love is also the rope that connects us to unbelievers as well. 
You know, we, we use this example here about the, the four chairs, and we said that there's a little distance sometime between those who are not believers and those who are. And, and were it not for love, there, that distance would remain. Very few people who don't know Jesus come to know him because they figure it out on their own. Very few people are going to pick up the Bible and just go, oh, I think there's something intriguing. I need to know more. I'm going to go find out more about Jesus. Love is what makes us reach across the street, across the, the room, whatever it might be, and to connect to people who do not know Jesus yet. Because people come to know Jesus and love him and follow him because of the love that's shown to them by one another, by us. So the rope is, the connection of love is extremely important. Now, John talks about the love for one another, and then right off the bat, he gives us this example that you may or may not be familiar with. He talks about a man named Cain. Who was Cain? Cain was a man, he said, who killed his brother. Well, if you know uh, the, the very beginnings in the book of Genesis, there were two brothers named Cain and Abel, and they were the very first children of Adam and Eve. Now, we don't hear a ton about them in the descendancy uh, of uh, the, the children and the, the generations going downward because Cain killed his brother Abel. And because of that, Cain was cut off from the rest of the family because obviously he killed a family member. But, but here's the story that happened there. This was after the first sin. Cain and Abel were out working. They had to have jobs because that's one of the repercussions of sin. They were working. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a herdsman. Now, God had already given them this principle of bringing offerings to him and to bring the first fruits of their crops. So there came time to give offerings, and Cain and Abel came together, probably at the same time, to bring their offering before God. And because of their different occupations, they brought different gifts. Cain brought some vegetables or fruit, whatever he had produced, maybe some grain, and, and gave, offered it to God. And Abel brought an animal from the herd. But we, the Bible says that Abel's offering was acceptable and Cain's was not. So in a fit of jealousy and anger, Cain killed his brother just right off the bat. Probably while Abel had his head down praying, Cain slips up behind him and kills him. I mean, a very unexpected act, I'm sure. Now, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, okay, you know, he, Cain's offering was not acceptable because it wasn't an animal because he didn't bring a blood sacrifice. But if you look at this, really, all of these were offerings. And in the Old Testament, there were a lot of offerings that weren't necessarily blood offerings or animal offerings. So I don't think that's it. I think the problem was not what they brought in their hands. It was what they brought in their heart. It is what, is they, what they brought, and they gave an offer to God at that point. Cain's offering was unacceptable because his heart was unacceptable. He was unfaithful. And his actions were evil, John says, and his brothers were righteous. They were faithful. To the observer, both of those folks, when they came up, their offerings should have been acceptable, but God doesn't look at the gift. God looks at the heart inside. And you know what? We may be doing the right things, all the right things, but with the wrong motives, and we may be evil. Because if we don't have love in our hearts, then God's not going to accept our offering. And it's obvious that Cain did not love his brother because he killed him, right? More than likely, it wasn't just an impulse. He just decided to kill his brother because God wouldn't take his offering. More than likely, this had been brewing inside of him, and these feelings and this hatred had finally came out in a, in a big expression. But you know what the Bible says? That even if he had not literally taken his brother's life, his hatred was the same as killing him. Here's what Jesus said. Uh, anyone who hates his brother or, or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know, we oftentimes think that the opposite of love is hatred, extreme hatred. 
But you know what? The real opposite of love can be displayed through indifference. Hatred can be either cold indifference or, or hot hostility, either one. And so indifference is kind of a form of hatred. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I'm a little convicted about that because I don't know that there's people I hate, but there are some people that I'm a little bit indifferent to. There are some people that I'm not really, I don't focus on, I don't worry about their needs, right? You know, I was thinking how that, that sometimes there's a, such a thin line here and that we go one way or the other. Have you ever seen a couple who are dating uh, maybe this is teenagers more, but they're dating and they love each other, love each other. And then something happens, they break up and now they hate each other, you know, and they ignore each other. They, don't even, they might have been friends to start with, but now there is no connection at all. You know, it's a cold indifference. You don't feel anything for that person. That is a form of hatred. And it's displayed through jealousy, criticism, maybe just not caring about people, not concerned about what their, their issues are. But John says that you can't live life like that. If you're a growing child of God, if you're moving on your journey, not only do you love Jesus, but you got to learn to love other people as well. So he says, be like Abel and not like Cain. Now, how do you know if your heart is tilted toward being like Cain? How do you know if you're becoming like Cain? Well, the Bible says that from the mouth, the heart speaks, right? And the Actions of a person express what's inside. When you blurt out something, you didn't just, your mouth didn't just uh, say that. It came from somewhere. It came from within you. It, came, it sprung out of your heart. And so our hearts are displayed to be evil by our conversation, by how we talk about people, by our texts, our emails, our Facebook, our Twitter, whatever might come out, that express, expresses the heart. That shows who we really are. Not only what we say, but also how do we respond to people whenever they're successful or whenever they fail? That shows where our heart is as well. If someone succeeds, are you envious of them? Are you jealous or critical? If they fail, do you then gloat or you have a sense of joy? You know, for some people, they can't win with you because whatever they do, good or bad, you're going to be critical of. That explains the heart a little bit as well. If someone crosses you or they hurt you in some way, are you able to forgive that? Are you able to move on? Or are you vengeful and unforgiving? Guys, I just want to know. I mean, God wants to know. God does know. Maybe you need to admit what's in your heart today. What is in your heart today for other people? Is there love or hatred? You know, you may have walked in this morning with the Bible under your arm or in your hand, but you got jealousy in your heart. You may have walked in with an offering in your hand or in your pocket, but you're offering, you know, you're presenting it, but you got bitterness inside of you. And God knows that because you don't love people. And if you don't love them, then the Bible says that you automatically hate them. Here's what it says. John continues on. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know, this corresponds exactly to the teachings of Jesus, that, that we don't have to actually kill somebody in order uh, to, to, to sin. Wishing them dead or hating them is the same as killing them. We don't have to actually commit adultery to be guilty, but lust is the same. Because it springs from the heart, love or hatred, and all sin is the result of hatred toward other people. John goes on to say, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. So isn't that kind of interesting? It's like a, a line of demarcation. It's like, here's the boundary that says, now you know that you pass from death, darkness, into the light of Jesus Christ when you begin to love one another. 
when love is descriptive of your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that loving person. I mean, that, that is my heart. That's how God made me, and, and that's how Jesus is remaking, reshaping me. But that's not possible by ourselves. I don't care how good you are. There's, you may look good on the outside, but most of us have some darkness on the inside and the, some hatred maybe and indifference in either way. But here's what John said. This is how we know what love is. We got an example here. We don't have to figure this out. We know what love is because God loved us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And guys, this in itself is the gospel. This is the good news, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to come and substitute his life for us. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine giving your child, your son, your daughter to die intentionally as a substitute for somebody else? We can't imagine that. The only thing that would bring that would be some kind of ex, uh, extreme supreme love. And God did that for us. And that brings us salvation. But you know what? Not only does it bring us salvation, it also kind of reveals our hearts. Because when we stand in that kind of light, that kind of love, it reveals our own darkness. It reveals our hatred and sometimes how we misdefine love. Here's one way that we do that. You know what? We vow to love and be faithful to our spouse. We make a vow. You know, we don't make too many vows in life, but we make a vow to do that and then might go out and commit adultery with somebody else and make it sound like it was inevitable gravity that I fell out of love and then I fell in love with somebody else. That's not, that's not an accident. That's a choice. You rebelled against the living God. You betrayed your oath, your vow. You chose not to love them. You chose to hate them and to be at war with God. And only God can heal that kind of hatred, that kind of brokenness. So John said, Jesus is how we know what love is. Here's what love is like. Jesus doesn't take, it gives. Love serves, it doesn't seek to be served. Love cares for the well-being of the other people. Love is being like Jesus. Here's the problem, all of us are like Cain. We're all like Cain, and we have treated Jesus like Abel. Every time we sin, every time we hate, every time we fail to love, we kill Jesus once again. Because our hatred is revealed, and every time that we do that, it's like we're attacking Christ. But here's the difference. Unlike Abel, Jesus came back to life again, and Jesus turned it all around so that those of us who used to be Cain's can now be Abel's, that he kills us. He restores up. That's the incredible thing. He allows us to overcome death. He will forgive our sins, and he will change our life. Are there any Abel's here that used to be Cain's today? All of us ought to admit that. All of us have that inside of us, guys. We all used to be kings. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is what the Bible says. And only Christ can heal us. Only he can change us and restore us. Because then through Christ, we can become like Abel, and we can be a worshiper with an acceptable offering to God. So here's what he's getting to. He's talking about contrast of hatred and love, and he's saying this, that Christian love is practical. It is practical. It's not some theory. It's not some, you know, far out idea that, you know, some can do. It's for all. It's practical. Here's what he says. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's kind of what he's getting at here. Not take someone's life through hatred or indifference, but lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. Now, rarely are any of us going to be asked to do that, thankfully. You know, we don't live in a country where that happens in our community uh, at any rate, but rarely does that happen. There are some in this room probably that, that would do that. 
If we have soldiers and police officers, they are willing to lay down their life for us, which is an amazing thing to think about. They do that on a, on a regular basis. But John is saying here that true love would be willing to lay down its life for another person, like Jesus did. It's the example that Christ has for us. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his brother, that he would voluntarily die for somebody else. We don't, can't imagine that. We couldn't do that on our own. But Christ set the example for us. Now, since most of us will never be called, have the opportunity to lay down our, our life in death for someone, we need to give our life in living. And we do that by giving and showing love to others. Here's what he says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's a rhetorical question, actually. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. He gets really practical here, and he starts talking about how we show our love to people, and he says it has to be shown by giving to others. Let me ask you, and he's talking about stuff here, guys. He's talking about stuff, and he's talking about money. Very practical. Let me ask you this. How much stuff do you have? Some of you guys are like me, and you don't throw anything away, you know? Uh, I, my wife says, you never throw anything. I said, but when I look for something you know, if I can find it, I have it, you know, in a lot of, a lot of ways, I don't have to go buy it again. But, but all of us have got stuff. Even if you thin out your stuff, even if you, you know, sort through and you're organized, you don't know everything you have more than likely. Let me just ask you this. If you were to have a fire or something that you lost everything you had, could you write down everything you own? No way. No way. We got all this stuff, stuff we haven't seen or, or, or used, you know, for years. Maybe you moved and you stored stuff and you haven't dug that out in years, but that's yours, right? I wonder sometimes how much the practical, uh, how much the things we have could find a practical use for other people because we don't even remember all that we've got. And yet how often do we think about giving what we have to help others? How often do we think about that? For a lot of people, giving is not even on their radar. I mean, it's not even out there. It's like, never thought about that. It's not even something you think about any time. In the Apostle James, who, by the way, was a brother of John, so they're thinking pretty close, he connects closely faith, love, and deeds together. Here's what he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, <coughs> faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Man, they're just hammering on it, aren't they? This is kind of uncomfortable, but they're talking about how practical faith and love really are. And that is that love and faith, they keep their eyes open and they look for needs and then they meet those needs. And i got to be honest, there, there are some people that I've met, and, and they're great people, but they never see needs because they're not looking. I mean, if you're not looking, you won't see the needs of someone. You can see a person in front of you that's destitute, and you would never even recognize that. You know, I, I, um, I hear people say, you know, uh, um, hey, I heard about a need. We just need to pray for them. You know what? You need to pray for them, but that's great theology, but it's not love. It can even be hate. You can pray somebody, but if they're hungry, your prayer isn't going to feed them, right? Remember, hate can be cold indifference or it can be hot hostility. So if we're going to love people, we got to give to people. 
And I believe that the more that we come to grow in Christ, the more we come to have generous hearts because love is practical. Love is practical. You know, I've seen Christians that have been in church all their life, but they, they give nothing of themselves. I mean, literally. They don't give a dime to the church. They don't give a dime to anybody. They don't serve people. They don't do anything. And you know, those people would say, I love people, but that's, that's not true. It's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're loving when we're not. We're indifferent. Because if you love people, you're constantly looking for ways to help them. And you're going to give. You're going to sacrifice. It's going to be practical. It's like a mother who's attentive to their child, always thinking about what do they need, what do they need. Or it's like a, a spouse that's attentive to their, their mate. They're wondering, how can I serve them? How can I give to them without looking for something in return? You see, love is attentive to the details. And what we have to do is open our eyes because there are needs all around us, all around us. You know, it's one thing I love about Heather, who shared earlier. Uh, she had such an incredible, beautiful heart that she is always helping people, has been for years, ever since I've known her. Now she's in a place where she can do that and, and we can help her help people. But, but it's just phenomenal what God does in somebody who, who is sensitive and has their eyes open to others. And when our eyes are open, then things start happening. Then our mouths start opening. And we start saying the things that are encouraging to other people. And then whenever our mouths start opening, we have to do more because the Bible says that this let us not just love with words or speech because something else has to happen. And then our minds start thinking, what can I do to help? And then our feet start walking to get there. And then our hands start moving to, to do something to minister to them. And then sometimes, this is what we hate, then sometimes our wallets start opening and our, our money starts talking because that sometimes is the need that people have. Amen. And we show that we love them. And guys, I will tell you, when that happens, it's messy. It's almost always messy. Because when you get to know people and love people and serve people, the more you're going to give of yourself. That's just what it requires. Love opens its eyes. And God may put us in those situations. This past Wednesday night, um, we, uh, my wife was hurting kind of bad. She had some abdominal pains, really, really sharp. So we assume, you know, she might have an appendectomy. So we ended up in, a, in an ER. And I don't know how many of you go to the ER, probably know more than you have to, but you talk about drama in an ER. I mean, if you want, I, I'm not going to say entertainment, but if you want to you see life at its realest, go to an ER. Go to our ER. You don't have to go to Lexington. Go to our ER because we're like, we'll just buzz in and buzz right out, you know? did not happen. We were there five hours, but there was a lot that happened in five hours, a lot of people going through. And uh, so we're just kind of observing people and their situations. And all of a sudden, the doors burst open. These ladies come rushing in, and they said, he's dying, he's dying. And they told us that out in the car, there was an individual that had a, a, an overdose, which is so too common in our, our small community. But there was a young man who had overdosed, and they had brought him in. And so, uh, you know, there really weren't any men working in the ERs, but there were three of us in the in the waiting room. So we come rushing out to, to help. And, you know, what do you do? I mean, you know, what do you do? So uh, we need wisdom in our actions sometimes. But we're standing there, and I don't know what to do, so I just grabbed the guy. I just grabbed him under his arms, and I took off with him. And I realized that was not a, not a good idea, you know. You need to think sometime before you act. But, but it, it worked. But I grabbed the guy. The other guy's got the legs. And, and we, you know, they make gurneys for that, I thought later. 
And there's a good reason they make gurneys for that. I found out later. But, but, uh, but we just took off and we carried this guy. And I had his under his arms and, and, we, and the guy had his legs. And we carried this guy and we threaded our way through the emergency room, which is, needs to have wider corridors. And uh, <laughs> let's just say it was tough. And we finally got him in there. And with my last ounce, you know, we heaved him up on a bed and, and he survived and everything. And I got done, and it all happened in such a short time, and, and I'm like, man, you are crazy. You are 56 years old, and you are not accustomed to hoisting that kind of weight. And my body told me the next day I was so sore all over me. I thought, so painful, so messy, messy. But, you know, then I, I think, but this guy survived, and hopefully by the grace of God, he'll be wise enough not to ever do that again. But I'm telling you, it's messy, isn't it? When you love people and you get involved in people's lives, it is a messy thing. But that God has called us to do that. And sometimes if, if we're in the place where God allows us to, to make a difference in someone's life, it's just phenomenal. And let me say as a Christian, you, you may not be hauling people around the ER. Hopefully you're not. But, but you know what? When you're growing and moving, you're going to be in places where God's going to use you to do some pretty phenomenal things. To impact the lives of people. And it can be very simple. It can be very, you know, very extreme, but it needs to be, it needs to be intentional and personal. And you know, a lot of people think, well, we're showing love when we pull up to a stoplight and we give a guy a few bucks, it makes us feel good. That, that's not necessarily love. You may be helping that guy in a destructive lifestyle. There are tons of people around you, real needs of people that you know and love and can help. And I want to encourage you to open your eyes to help. Guys, a journey, that's what we're all about. We want to be on the front lines. Wherever it may be, we want to be on the front lines of touching people and moving people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And you know, when we think about this particular part, this aspect of our walk, it touches two of our values, one of which is that saved people serve people. If you've been saved, if you've experienced the love of Jesus Christ, you want to serve people. And if you don't have that heart, then you need to go back and examine the basics as John says, the beginning of teachings of the love of Christ. And the second part that this touches, second value, is that found people find people. Because I will tell you, people who are in chair one, they're lonely. They're looking for something, someone that can give them hope and that can love them. And God's called us to do that. And through all of this, we can glorify God. And we can not only move other people, but I tell you what, it moves us as well. And we'll talk more about that next week, what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples as well. Not only do you give glory to God, love people, bless people, but you find this incredible joy that God wants every one of us to have. If you don't have that relationship with Christ, if you've not experienced that joy and you want to talk to somebody, I would love to have that conversation or you can check on your connection card. I want to talk to a minister. We would love to talk to you. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you for this day. God, thank you for your amazing love. God, thank you that we have the opportunity to extend that love, not only to, to, to Jesus, but to other people as well. God, put us on the front lines. Open our eyes and our hearts to see the needs of people, Lord. Give us your heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.